This is Emsolation. Okay, this is very exciting. This is our first ever bonus edition of Emsolation. And, you know, because I do whatever the hell I want, I've just chucked it in because I wanted to have enough time with this glorious human who's our first ever. She's our inaugural. She has one of my favourite podcasts and she's so clever and she's the future and someone I deeply respect and admire. I'm also very jealous of her youth. <laughs> You'll know her as one half of Shameless podcast. Michelle Andrews, welcome. I'm going to clap. I am Yay! blushing. M. when you emailed me saying I'm your first interview guest, I actually couldn't believe it. Is that real? Why did you feel like I am very chuffed and very grateful that you have me on. I'm also extremely surprised and like humbled by it as well. Why are you surprised? I I don't know. Just because like, okay, this is like breaking the fourth wall. Last year when we got you on Shameless, I was fangirling internally, like silently the entire time. Like you have been someone in the industry I looked up to for so, so long. So when we got you on the podcast, particularly the first time we recorded it, I, the entire time, like my internal alarms were just like ringing, being like, oh my God, it's M. Rusciano sitting across from me. So for you to want me on your podcast is like a huge thing for me. I was very excited. When I got your email, I like ran out to my boyfriend, Mitch. I'm like, oh my God, she likes me. <laughs> you're so cute. Oh my God. Oh, no, I just, well, you, like you were the Zara first person I... on my list. <laughs> But we, we're kind of new on the block. So for anyone in the industry to turn around and be like, you guys are doing okay, means the bloody world. Like it means a lot to us. Yeah, your podcast was like podcast of the year and has is constantly on the highest charting. Everyone I know listens to it. You don't need the approval from the industry. Like I'm going to say that right now. You've got fear and jealousy from the industry maybe, but you guys have made it. You guys are there. You're, you're doing what, what I love is you guys just do whatever you want. It's so brave and fresh and, and made by women for women. And oh my God. And I just wish that I had a, had something like you and Zara and that podcast in my 20s because like it was I mean I had a very different 20s experience I I had two kids in my 20s and was also trying to navigate a media career and had no idea what I was doing but um I just think what you guys is doing is great and you've got a book coming out give that a plug we do we do well it's been like a crazy time for us we began the podcast when we were 23 which now uh a few years on feels like we were such babies going into it we really had no idea what we were doing which I think is why we've been so surprised with the success that the podcast has had because we literally just winged Mm. the entire thing uh but yeah we are releasing Mm. a book in September it's with Penguin Random House it's called The Space Between and it's a series of essays and listicles and stories all about our early and mid-20s and like that I, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? You can just beep it out. But like of that f-ing awkward limbo between mm. adolescence and adulthood, like when you're just figuring it out and you have no idea what you're doing, which I still really don't, and you're just trudging mm. your way through and like making a mess of it at the same time. So I'm so excited mm. for that book to come out because we talk a lot about things outside what we typically talk about on the podcast. Like the podcast, we talk about pop culture and celebrity and stuff, but in this book, 
we talk about stuff mm. that's really important to us, like anxiety and consent and um, mm. endometriosis from Zara's perspective and painful sex. So it's like quite candid mm. and quite raw, but I wouldn't want to do a book in any other way. No, I think it's real. It's great. It's I can't wait. I'm Again, I'm glad. My, my daughter's I'm 19 this year, so heading into her 20s and I'm going to make her read it. I'm going to make her listen. I just am so <laughs> glad you're there for the next generation of women. I feel like... You know, I do my best, but I'm 41 and I'm not exactly relatable to, a, you know, a late teen, early 20s woman. So I'm just kind of glad that there's another generation kind of backing up what all of us are trying to do in a really hard landscape. It's hard to um, get a message out, especially as a woman, and not be barked down or have your head cut off or, you know, anytime I have an opinion on any topic that is remotely touchy, I'll have a men's rights activist come for me. And it's mm. hard to stay brave. And you guys have had an ex- had those experiences where you're trying to be brave and, and real and then you get punished for that. How do you, because mm. you're someone like me, you, you suffer from anxiety as I do, which I think is our superpower. How do you navigate that as a woman in the media? How do you stay brave? It's been a really interesting one for me. My anxiety, to be uh, super honest, over the last few months while we've been in isolation and in lockdown has been the worst it's been since I began going to a psychologist. I started going to a psychologist Mm. in 2017 and I know that this lockdown period for some people has been quite nourishing and obviously there's a lot of privilege in that for other people. It's been the complete opposite. It's been a nightmare for so many For me, Mm. mentally, this lockdown has been awful, awful for my mental health. And it's really made me, uh, I guess, give feedback online and commentary online a whole lot more weight and credence than I Mm. would in the past. So it's been an interesting Mm. time in that I probably have had a few confidence knocks over the last couple of months in particular because I don't have the usual distractions that I'm used to. I I don't have like the bustle of every single day and the busyness that kind of keeps me even and have some kind of Mm. equilibrium, I guess. And it's been something that I've needed to navigate through. But one thing that my psychologist spoke to me about in our last session last week was the biggest tragedy would be to give up what I do or to shut up or not use my voice to talk about the things that I'm passionate about because there's commentary online or because some people won't like it. And I think that's kind of like my guiding star throughout everything that It can be really tricky. Like, I'm sure you know that more than anyone, Em. It can be really tricky to be in the public eye and have people's opinions on that and and have people also not give you the benefit of the doubt, not have people, um, Mm. I I guess, intentionally sometimes misinterpret your words um, or try to find uh, where you're going to trip up or fall. But I refuse to shut up. Like I think so many women in the public eye are pushed into corners where they're not allowed to be political and not allowed to speak about the things that matter to them. And Zara and I just bluntly refuse Mm -hmm. to have that happen to us. I would far prefer to be divisive and still be true to who I am, which is a political, outspoken, loud, boisterous, Mm -hmm. happy, energetic person than be someone who's meek and Mm -hmm. mild. Like I don't want to have my career be reduced to that. So it's tricky, but ultimately I feel like we generally and genuinely do our best wherever we can and we oh. try to speak about things that matter to us. Michelle, it just I'm crying. I've got goosebumps. <laughs> I just 
And so, I mean, you're making so many women feel seen, and and that's if, if you achieve nothing else in terms of what you guys are doing, and and that's what I always strive to do is to help other women feel seen and give women permission to take up space. And for so mm. much of my career, I've been forced into boxes and told I'm too much, too loud, too masculine, too tattooed, my hair's too short, I've, I'm too opinionated. And it took me to my 40s to turn around and go, um, actually, that's a you problem, not a me problem. Mm. So for so long, I allowed those ideas of me to dictate my self-worth. And I became obsessed with what other comedians thought of me. I became obsessed with, you know, how I'm portrayed in the media and what people say about me. But finally, you know, around 40, when I had my baby and I did my show Rage and Rainbows and I was okay with the space I was taking up in the world. And I think if mm. you can start that and set women on their 20s on that path, like that is, I thank you. I thank you for doing that. Oh. It's really important that women around your age and you're 26, 27, 26? 26. That is an age that, you know, Saturn return happens where you're questioning your place in the universe, where you're not really sure, like you're not a kid anymore, but you're also not a fully fledged adult but, and you're not sure if you want to be and you're not sure how that's going to look. So I think you're very important, you and Zara, for that stage. And I guess... I'd be very interested to know what have your 20s taught you? I mean, you're coming to kind of the end of it. You're in that crucial part. What have, mm. what have you learned? And what would you like to kind of impart on women who are in the throw of 23, 24 and not quite sure what's going on? That is such a good question. I think don't feel like there's a ticking clock in your life. I think I spent so much of my mm. 20s putting this intense pressure on myself and feeling like I was kind of on the amazing race and I was running towards something, but I had never had any idea what it was. I, I constantly felt like, particularly between the ages of 21 and 25, that I was rushing or I was racing. And I think mm. women, because we're desperate, we are all thinking of these timelines, right? Like, when am I going to have children? When is my career probably going to go on a bit of a dip because I need to be on maternity leave or be a childcare or whatever? I think we put this pressure on our 20s as the time when we need to pursue our career more than anything. But as someone who has now had mm. a bit of success in my career and is doing things that I didn't think I'd be doing, like writing a book and um, working on this great podcast and having a big audience, I can tell others that I think success is so much different to what I used to think. Like it's really not having a huge audience success to me is not having like all these accolades or uh, podcast awards or anything like that. Success to me is making other people feel seen. Exactly what you said before, like that is my definition of success, making people feel like they are okay exactly as they want to live in the world, that they are strong and they can use their voices. And I think if I had had someone tell me that earlier in my 20s, that your definition of success needs to be something that is intrinsic to you and that you don't receive from the outside world, like you need to have a seed within yourself that defines what you think success is. You need to really nourish yourself and think about life beyond your career. Um, so I wish I had mm. thought of that earlier on because I think for so long I based all of my value and all of my worth on what other people thought of me. And inevitably, if you're going to be a woman who lives how she wants to live in the world, people aren't going to like that. Like as soon as you are <laughs> vocal and opinionated as a woman, you can't base your value on what people think of you because people will be annoyed by that and they won't be able to mm -hmm. put their finger on why they feel annoyed or why they're irritated by your sheer presence in a room. So that's been like a huge learning curve for me to base my value and to feel successful based on 
the people that matter to me and the effect I have on how women feel about themselves, not about like, I don't know, meaningless and hollow and lifeless accolades or download numbers or anything like that. Mm. Beautifully said. I love that. This is Emsolation. Do you feel like you get enough support from other women in the industry? Oh, that's the thing that I've been so blown away by. Yeah, I can't believe how many women like you and like so many other women that we've had on the podcast, like Jamila Rizvi or Zoe Foster Blake, have reached out to Zara and helped us and mentored us privately. I think that's probably mm-hmm. been the the most positive aspect and the most surprising aspect in a really beautiful way to come out of being in the media and that there is such a sisterhood, I feel like anyway, of women who genuinely do know that there is space for everyone. It's easy to get competitive with people Mm. in the industry and feel like you need to carve out your own spaces and protect them and kind of have like guard dogs around the perimeter and make sure no one gets in. But it's been such a wonderful lesson Mm. to learn really young that there literally is room for all of us and we also need to have each other's backs because otherwise people are just going to come for every – like they're Mm. just going to try and pick us off. If we don't have each other's backs, then people will, um, yeah, just kind of target us and come at us. So – I have loved that aspect. I felt like there are so many genuinely kind, big-hearted women in the public eye and they're probably that way in part because they know how brutal it can be. Oh, for sure. Oh, I'm glad you've had that experience. What do you think? That's, do you agree? That's good. I mean, I <laughs> I would say I've had the kind of the opposite experience, um, mm. which is why I try to support women who are up and coming because I truly believe there is enough space for all of us and Mm. um, I was you once and I remember how hard it was and I guess the the generation of women you speak about like Jamila is a big supporter of mine too and Claire Bowditch and like I've got now I have this amazing support crew but when I was starting out I was from reality tv and um, I've been kind of dragged through the media a bit and, you know, I, I was working at Mamma Mia and all these things mm. um, that people either loved or hated. And I felt in the burgeoning, like in the new world of social media, because this was all new and Twitter had just kind of started, everyone was quite protective of their turf. Mm. So, yeah, I often felt kind of in the wilderness when I started out and um, a few, like Jamila very early on was a big supporter of mine too. She's incredible. Jamila Rizvi, you know, and people who listen to this podcast will know her because I talk about her a lot and she's one of my <laughs> best friends. But I think if you're a woman who's in a workplace um, or it, you don't have to be a, be a celebrity or in the media, any workplace, I think it's your job if you're a senior female is to help other women kind of forge the path as well. So, mm. yeah, I, I mean, now I feel very supported, but when I was starting out, I didn't, and I kind of understand why, but I will always champion other women. And I, you know, I never feel like if I support another comic publicly or another podcaster publicly, that lessens me. I feel like it, it opens me up and opens my kind yeah. of podcast and show up to new exciting things. I just think if you close down, you're kind of screwed. I wonder as well if part of it is that traditionally there were so many spots in like mainstream radio for women and those spots were so often like the sidekick or the woman who um, generally wasn't given the job because those jobs were given to duos of men, which of course there are great men in radio, but to look at the stats of how many male duos there are compared to female duos is truly astounding. And I don't think it's a coincidence that 
female founded and female led podcasts have had such crazy success because it's what people have wanted for so long, Mm. but it's not what mainstream radio was willing to give them. And I think maybe the more modern uh, aspects of media in that you can literally create your own platform. You can get onto Wooshka or get onto a podcasting platform and create your own thing. Maybe that's what's made people, Mm. I mean, this is probably quite Pollyanna and idealistic of me and showing my age, but maybe that element of also given women the <laughs> impetus to support each other because it's like, well, we can all create our own stuff and mm. if we support each other we can show mainstream media what they missed out on. Yeah, and I think it's much easier to support now with because we've all built our own platforms and we don't have to ask permission to say, hey, listen to this person, I think they're great. But also you're much more likeable than I am. That's, that's the other point. People like you. <laughs> I mean, I'm Do not going to discount oh. the fact that there was a time where I was... <laughs> It's <laughs> a pretty unhappy person and not a very nice person to be around and I think I've made a lot of enemies and that's that's what keeps me up at night honestly that's kind of the last frontier for me is making trying to make some peace with the amount of enemies I've made in really? my career I've I've really made yeah I've really made a lot and I regret that because if people could see inside me I'm someone who wants to try and make everyone feel better I'm, I don't want to make everyone's days mm. better than they started and to know that there are people out there that I've either worked with or or it's usually the people I've worked with in breakfast radio if we're being completely honest um that yeah. think badly of me that is that is the one thing that I think a lot about is that last the last thing I can control is people's perceptions of me. <laughs> like yeah. for a long time I got to, went to a psychologist and, and I realised that I was trying to control, this is the level of control I got to, Michelle, with my anxiety. <laughs> I was trying to control the way my children and family remembered me when I was dead. So Whoa. What? what I realised. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I constantly was like laying awake at night going, okay, are they going to remember me as being a good mother? Are they going to remember the meals I'm cooking? Are they going to remember, you know, that I was showed up for them? Like, and it was really doing me in. And then I, you know, obviously started working with someone because it was just too much. And I realised how awful and big picture and delirious I was. (laughs) But yeah, that's for me, the last thing letting go is that I have a lot of enemies in the industry. And mm. that's why I'm also very, like, careful with my new relationships and, and when I go into new situations I try to be the best version of myself because there was a time where I wasn't. So I guess that may be another reason why people don't want to pump myself up. Because well, well, it's like it's, it's a tricky industry, right? Like so much of it is tied to your personality and that's been a big thing for me, kind of trying to figure mm. out, okay, what is shameless Michelle and what is like everyday Michelle? And I think... In some ways, they're two different things in that because our work is Mm. so entwined with who we are as people, it can feel incredibly personal, I think, because Mm. it is personal. Like we've turned our personalities or we've turned our minds into content that people um, either like or don't like. And so when you do make enemies in the industry, which I, I will put my hand up as well. I have had relationships in the industry where they've been incredibly toxic and um, not very nice and definitely not amicable. And it's been a conversation Mm. that Zara and I have had a lot in isolation Mm. being like, you know what? I don't want to have this negative energy towards other people. It's just wasted. It is. I agree. And David Hughes, actually, Dave Hughes, Hughes is the one who got me on this path. Well, I was doing his show and he said to me, and I was talking about someone who we both knew who'd been pretty awful and Hughesy had seen the awfulness and he said, Em, don't hold on to it. Don't let them have that power. He mm. goes, I don't hold any grudges against anyone anymore. And I 
I truly believe him. You know, he's become a vegan. He's gone back to exercising. He, he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't do anything. He's the most purest individual I know. <laughs> and now he's also pure of heart and mind. <laughs> It's so freeing. Like I, I totally, yeah, obviously yeah. I'm so much younger and I probably don't have the same number of um, fractured relationships with people in the industry, but even having a couple is exhausting. Like I just don't yeah. want to feel it is exhausting. upset or angry or whatever towards anyone because it just does it. Yeah. At the end of the day, like even from a pragmatic sense, it doesn't help me. Like it doesn't help me do my job well. It doesn't help me live my life stress-free or happily or with contentedness. Mm. Me holding resentment towards other people mm. just drains everyone who's involved in it. So it's it's hard though. I think sometimes in this industry things can happen where you really truly do feel screwed over and it's very hard to then just be like, well, oh, yeah. that's the industry. I'm going to move on and be the bigger person. No. I mean, look, I mean we <laughs> I had 15 years to process in um, commercial radio <laughs> and I still haven't. It still bursts out of me every now and then. I'm just like, but that was not food. <laughs> and so much stuff. I mean, you know, a lot of stuff happened because I will let everyone know the first time I met Sarah and Michelle from the Shameless Podcast was when they came out to my parents' house to do, I did a, an episode and we recorded the whole episode. And then you guys left and I started having immense anxiety about it because you'd caught me in a bad moment with breakfast radio mm. and um I pretty much spent the whole episode saying things that just to make myself feel better and then when she left I as I do with all my interactions and I'm sure you do the same I kind of replayed it all and look for places where I may have stuffed up and then oh, I realized course. the entire episode was a stuff up <laughs> like, well, oh my god this is the thing like you were upset about it I remember Zara and I we got in um our car to kind of drive home and on the drive home we were like that doesn't sit well with us because we felt like um, you had potentially said stuff that would bring more bring more drama onto, into your life. And, like, that was the last thing we wanted yeah. because whenever we sit down with guests in conversations, first of all, we were so stoked that you said yes. Like, you did not need to – someone of your profile does not need to give an hour or an hour and a half of your time to two oh young God, women in the industry. And I think that's a testament to you and anyone who comes on our podcast, to be honest. But the, when we were driving home, we were talking and we are like – we don't want our content to make M. Rosciano feel worse about her place in the world. Like, so when you had reached out and your manager reached out to say, you know what, can we record again? 110%. Like we were so much more than happy to do that because <laughs> I would hate I know you were. us to ever put an episode oh. out that brings more drama into someone's life. So my episode that you're on Shameless is the second attempt. And we admit that. I really ummed and art over it because – my desire to be polite and not upset people, you know, I'm super sensitive to that now because of what my reputation is. Normally I would have mm. let it go, but I've taught my daughters for their whole lives, don't ever let your desire to be liked or be polite put your, you in harm's way. Like that's the number one rule. Mm. And I was going to put myself in harm's way if I let that go out. So I was so glad that you agreed. And But that's how we kind of met. I thought, oh God, they're going to think I'm a diva. Like I was just like, oh, God, I'm making them re-record a whole episode. How annoying. But I want to thank no you way, you're, for protecting me. You're so me generous and, in interviews. Um, allowing that to happen. And I think as well what we were talking about between Zara Thanks. and I when that all went down is that you were promoting Rage, Rage and the Rainbows at the time. And since watching that, like obviously yeah. that came out yeah. after the interview aired because it was a promotional thing. Um, but since watching that, that is like I reckon mm. your best work ever. That's I've never – Mitch and I, when we watched that on the television at home, oh, my God, I cannot tell you how much Mitch enjoyed it. Like I have never seen him curl over oh, in laughter good. watching something. Oh, good. 
if the interview had gone the way the first one did and we released that and we hadn't talked enough about the great work you did with that show, that would have been such a shame. Like I would lo- like mm. I loved that we ended up yeah. talking more about your work and like the craft and the great things you put out into the world like that because that that has stayed with me since I watched that on the TV with Mitch. We have spoken about that so many times. That is my favourite thing you've done. Oh, good. Oh, look, it nearly killed me. Like, I don't know why I thought having a baby and doing that show in the same year and getting my kid through year 12 was a wise idea. <laughs> nearly f-ing killed me. <laughs> it's always when the best content like, comes out, though. Just, when you're really struggling is when you do really well at work. Like, if your personal life is a shambles, I think there's a quote in, what is it? It's like the Devil Wears Prada. If your personal life is shot to shit, yeah. you make the best content you've ever made. Oh my God. Well, that's my whole comedy career is just my personal life constantly oscillating between, you know, (laughs) a steaming shit pile to just hanging on. Now, before I let you go, um, I do want to talk, you're the recommendation queen. Like I I take Mm. very seriously the things you put online and this podcast has been about giving people stuff to kind of, you know, while we may be out of severe lockdown, it's a new normal. There's a new way of coping and um, the podcast, I'm going to keep it going because I just want to give everyone an escape twice a week to to emsolate with me. But we still need content to consume. Also, I've started taking skincare very seriously. I bought a home needling machine (gasps) for my face and it's changed my life. So what I want to know is what's your favourite skincare? What are you doing at the moment? Talk to me about it. And this is not Spono. I mean, you can can go No, no, no. But what are you doing for skin? Not Spono at all. My skin, I am pretty basic, to be honest. Mm. I find that my skin is quite sensitive. So when I use a ton of products, it goes haywire and it never works out for me. I love the Fancy Mm. Face Oil Cleanser by GoTo Skincare. It is the best cleanser. And the funny thing about this, an oil cleanser, I remember when um, GoTo announced it and released it and said, this is like our next big product. And I thought, why would I need an oil cleanser? It sounds pretty gross, if I'm honest, like washing my face with oil. Um, It just did not make sense to me at all. But after doing some reading about it and actually getting my hands on Mm. it, I swear to God, it is the Mm. best thing to like remove makeup and have your skin feeling clean without feeling that really tight, taut, like squeaky clean feeling that I really yeah. hate with skincare. The the fancy face cleanser, it's like you put oil onto dry skin. So you put it into your hand, you rub it on your dry skin, then you get like a warm yes. cloth and you um, yes. wipe it off. It is like so bougie and extravagant and fancy. It's the perfect name for it. And I bloody love it. Have you tried oh. an oil cleanser? No, it's, it's the best. I agree. It's so good. Oh, it's, well, let me talk to you about the double cleanse. I mean, the double cleanse for me has changed my life. So I use pre-cleanse by Dermalogica and it's an oil cleanser. Mm-hmm. So with stage makeup and tele makeup, I just slap, slather that all over my skin. <laughs> but some people use coconut oil. Like, honestly, it's just, it's just about doing the double cleanse. So I, the double cleanse has changed my life, guys. I'm gonna, I, I love that we're swinging from feminism to double cleanse. This is the whole point <laughs> of this podcast. But I'm like, the oil first, and then I use like a, a gentle cleanser after. And the double cleanse, I mean, sometimes I'm skipping a serum because it's so good and I do a moisturise <laughs> and do my skin needling, but I'm 41, so I've got a lot more things I've got to focus on. Um, now, look, we, we do have to wrap up because I'm going to lose the studio, but what I do want to ask you is what are you watching? I am watching Terrace House on Netflix, which is quite a niche recommendation. It is a Japanese reality show that's like the perfect hybrid between 
Big Brother, <laughs> Love Island and Gogglebox. It's amazing and I highly recommend it. If you can watch something with subtitles, which encourages me to put down my phone, anything that gets me to put down my phone is a good thing. So Terrace House on yep. Netflix. Oh, fantastic. And I know that you binge watching Parks and Rec. I'm Leslie Nope. I'm, so, I'm sure you're Leslie Nope as well. Oh, I'm such a Leslie Nope. And every time like anything comes out of her mouth, I'm like, that's me. <laughs> I don't know if I love it or hate it. Oh, my gosh. She's so amazing. She's the best character at telly. I bloody love Leslie Dope. And what are you reading before you go? I am reading The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. It's by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Pick up any of the books by Taylor Jenkins Reid. She writes incredible, feminist, strong female characters, and I bloody love that book. Amazing. Well... I bloody love you, Michelle Andrews. You're a gem. You're 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 the light. You're the you're the future. Everyone needs to listen to the Shameless podcast. Get their book. I know you can pre-order it now, and um, give my best to Zara. And thank you for being so generous with your time today. Thank you, Em. It is a genuine delight. I've missed your voice. I mean, I've been listening to the podcast, but to have some one-on-one time with you is truly special. So thank you for having me. Oh, isn't she a delight? I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed it. I. I love chatting to smart people who are much better at me than things and picking their brains. And I'm just so glad her and Zara are out there for my daughters. Like, I'm just so glad they're there. Don't forget to check out their podcast, Shameless. Um, It's so extraordinary and great. And I love what they do. I hope you've enjoyed this bonus episode of Emsolation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Emsolation Podcast. And if you want to become a a member, a patron of Emsolation, go to emraciano.com and click on the listen page. Well, that's it. We'll hear you guys on Tuesday. Have a fantastic weekend. Maybe get outside and the playgrounds are open now. Parks are reopened. You can go visit friends. I am going to have dinner. I'm going to have dinner with Joel Creasy and Michael Lucas tonight. So that's exciting. Save times. I'm sure we'll be talking about that next week. Catch you soon. Oh, catch you soon. I don't know what happened then. My ethnic roots came out. Catch you soon, guys. You think you're so good. I'm off track. This has been a very long episode. Okay, bye, guys. A podcast one production.